Hello and welcome back to Absurdity. My name is Ryan Becker and I am joined by my steadfast rock of a co-host, Henry Johnson. Henry, hi. I, I'm not sure if that means you think I'm hard-headed or just built. I mean, you rock, can be, but... but so can I. And I think hard-headed people make the best podcast hosts. So the ah. I'm okay with it. Uh, but no, it's because you've always been a rock for me. You've always been a support for me. And, and uh, you've been... Uh, since the day that we both realized that our presuppositions about each other were wrong, uh, you and I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was true. Um, totally true. The, the, have, you, have we told that story on absurdity? Uh, we have not. Uh, basically, I had the impression that uh, that Henry walked around with a stick going up his rear end twenty four seven. And Henry had the actually Henry. What was your impression of me? Uh, I, I thought you were just a really phlegmatic hippie. That sounds about right. I am phlegmatic. Yeah. So that's, that was accurate. The, the hippie part, not, I mean, it just depends on what I'm wearing on any given day, but well, all, but I, I just remember you would show up to meetings the first couple of meetings I see you and you were always just like, and we would go to meetings and all of I'd maybe had fallen for the, the, the system and was always in business casual and whatever. And you'd show up in like flip flops and shorts and a t-shirt. And I was just like, oh yeah, yeah phlegmatic hippie. So we would go. So but of course, now I've gone that lot. direction, so I have no right to talk. <laughs> That's right. So our denomination has a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of like joint pastors meetings and things. Like our denomination does a whole lot together. And so once a year in our, in our uh, conference, which was the Carolina conference, so this was at the time is North and South Carolina, all Seventh Day Adventist churches uh, are coordinated by the conference office. And they were holding pastors' meetings, meetings to justify their existence. Exactly. Uh, we're not saying that say good that. or I don't bad think existence. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna say uh, we're just gonna say that uh, they exist, and we're just informing you. So at these meetings, I was a brand new pastor, fresh out of college, and I was like, "Well, I need to impress. I need to show up. I don't know what this is going to be like." And so, yeah, the first day I showed up in in business casual and more on the business side to be honest and i really wanted to play the game i drink energy drinks i hid those i, I was very strategic I and then that. i quickly realized uh two things number one uh i wasn't being true to who i am and if i was not going to be true to who i am then within reason that doesn't mean i need to go and like you know tick everyone off for no reason but i'm going to be who i am uh, so number one, I realized if I'm going to be true to who I am, then I should just be who I am. And if I present something to everyone else here that isn't me, then I have to keep that image up for the rest of my time in employment here. And then number two, I was this actually really, really bothered me that the the hypocriticalness of or hypocrisy, hypocriticalness, hip, hypocrisy of of other of older pastors. But I've heard so many older pastors just bemoan younger generations and talk about how they're, you know, they don't care and they're going to ruin the church. I've heard this nonstop. And here I was a new pastor trying to meet people and, and trying to, to meet older pastors looking for mentors too. And basically given the cold shoulder by everyone. And in that moment, I was like, cool, I don't care about your opinion even less than I did before. Like I cared before because I wanted to pay respect and I wanted to learn from people who've, who've, you know, tr uh, who've trodden this path ahead of me, but nah, I'm good now. I don't care. Uh, your opinion literally does not matter to me at all. And from then on out, yeah, flip-flops, rolled up jeans, shorts, t-shirts, drinking my can of Monster in front of everyone. I don't, you know, it was, I wasn't I mean, trying to like credit flagrantly angry, angry everyone, but I was, I was there. Yeah. I mean, and credit to you, I guess, but that was just a long way of saying, you know, he was new. I'd been working in this, this arena for a while before you showed up and I did not know you. And I was just like, eh, whatever, probably not. We're probably just not going to mesh. That's just not how that runs. And then, as you said, I probably came across because of that is that the entire cornfield was up my rear end. And it's actually, <laughs> it's actually, you know, ironic that we met through a how do I put this? It was someone we both knew through different circles. And needless to say, my relationship with them tanked. And, you know, it was probably for the best. Well, I know it was for the best that happened. But in any case, through that event, we had another activity that the, our employer was making us all do. So, you know, kind of hostages make great friends, right? 
Yep. Yeah. And, and so and we basically to save expenses, we were two single guys and we're like, well, I guess since there's no other options, we'll just room together. And yep. that so we were roommates up to realize it. Yeah, we were roommates. And it was in that brief moment. We're like, wait, the other guy's not as so conceited. He'd drown when it rained. And the other one's like, hey, wow, he's actually I, I like his vibe. And so together, <laughs> it just <laughs> I'm a, someone who actually cares about was, something. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I love I, it. Anyway, it's been beautiful ever since. Now we can't get rid of each other, nor would we want to. Correct. Uh, it's it's even even my girlfriend, your wife. They understand that they come second to <laughs> you and me together, and that's that's what's so important. Uh, and it's not true, by the way. That's a hundred percent not true. Of course, uh, our relationships are important to us. So just just wanna just wanna point that out. Um, but oh, Henry, besties, let's. But- but, but speaking Let's, of things that are important to us and things that are go. not held as important as they should be, people are like, oh yeah, we've missed them going on and on and on and not getting to the topic. Today, we want to talk. Dun, 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 dun. What do we want to talk about? We want to was, talk about objectification. I was going to say, you just said, today we want to talk on a podcast. That was great. So I'm really glad that you finished that yes. whole thing. But yes, we are talking about desexualization uh, and which and also... Objectification, yes. Yep. It means that we kind of have to... You're also kind of... We're assuming at a point that everyone understands what sexualization is too. And, and, but we, we want to we talk a little bit more on, on the desexualization side inspired by uh, recent comments and not from us, obviously, but recent comments. Yeah, not from uh, us, that, from somebody we, you probably heard of more. Uh, Scarlett yes. Johansson and the outcoming of Black Widow that I believe at the time we're recording this should be coming out in a week or so. Uh, yeah, I think it comes out, yeah. Because they it's like July 10th or July 19th 9? or something. Nine, it's something, July yeah. 9. And yeah, we're that would like we're the, for- the weekend. Yeah. yeah, it's about eight days from now. Yes. And of course, it was delayed because of COVID, like so many things. But because of that delay, now interviews they did around it and the media tours and stuff are, are picking back up. And it was in the midst of that, those media tours that Scarlett Johansson made a couple comments about her character in the cinematic universe, the wider cinematic universe there, and leading up into Black Widow. And it caught our attention for sure. And so I'm just going to jump in and read the quote that made us start thinking about this and saying, yeah, we, we, we should talk about this. And so this, I'm reading this from, and we'll have the notes down in the, sh- in, in the show notes, or the links down in the show notes, duh. And this is coming from Collider.com. So I believe, you know, there's, there's press pools, like a lot of stuff, all the news you read. So there's yep. usually one or two reporters that get the scoop, and then it gets disseminated throughout all of the different networks. So I did my best to try and figure out where the original source material was. And as best I could, although I'm open to being wrong, it was a collider that got this interview. And in any case, during the interview, they asked her a a question about a, in their words, quote, a sort of sexualization of superheroes, end quote, and how she thought maybe that affected her character, Black Widow. And this, I'm just going to quote this directly. This was her actual response to that. So she said, quote, Yeah, it definitely has changed, and I think part of that change was probably, uh, it's hard because I'm inside it, but probably a lot of that is actually from me too. I'll be 35 years old, and I'm a mom, and my life is different. Obviously, 10 years have passed. I think she's referencing the 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe they've been building. 10 years have passed, and things have happened, and I have a much different, more evolved understanding of myself. As a woman, Mm -hmm. I'm in a different place in my life, you know, and I have felt more forgiving of myself as a woman and not, well, sometimes probably not enough. Side note, we're going to talk about that because I think that's hinting at some emotions she's had about this. Anyway, back to the quote. I am more accepting of myself, I think. All of that is related to that move away from the kind of hypersexualization of this character. And I mean, you look back at Iron Man 2... And while it was really fun and had a lot of great moments in it, the character is so sexualized, you know, really talked about like she's a piece of something, like a possession or a thing or whatever, like a piece of ass, really. And Tony even refers to her as something like that at one point. What does he say? And then the interviewer responds, I want some, is what they say. Yeah, well, the actual, so I watched that clip. He actually says, I want one, I'm pretty sure. he. It it was right when she's introduced and she... 
is it blows him away uh, and and wrecks happy in a in a sparring match on 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 the in the ring and then he he's like Got I want it. one as she leaves. All right. Yep. So he says I want one. Now she's going to be going off this misquote of I want some. But yes, anyway, so I'm going to just insert the correct statement. She continues, I want one. Yeah, at one point calls her a piece of meat and maybe at that time that actually felt like a compliment. You know what I mean? Because my thinking was different. Maybe I even would have, you know, Mm -hmm. my own self-worth was probably measured against that type of comment, or like a lot of young women, you come into your own and you understand your own self-worth. It's changing now. Now people, young girls, are getting a much more positive message, but it's been incredible to be a part of that shift and to be able to come out the other side and be part of that old story, but also progress, evolve. I think it's Mm. pretty cool. End quote. So that was the whole two paragraphs of her her statement to that but really what caught my attention was uh, really in the initial point as i was saying it started hinting at some of i I think the sexualization we see across society not just in the movie and 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 miss scarlet just dealing with that in her own way and coming to terms with it acting in black widow and then making this comment about the tony stark character i don't want to in Pune the the nature of the actor. Obviously, they're repeating stuff that's been written for them. Uh, but at the same time, yeah. So she's she's saying she's trying to come to a new place in her life where she has more value in herself. She's she's more aware of her feelings, and she wants to kind of shift the narrative away from this hypersexualization of both her character mm. and others. And so it was that comment that got us thinking about, yeah, the hypersexualization in society, uh, in media, uh, even in the church. I would add. And so we said, hey, this is absurd. Let's talk. Hmm. You know, there. this is interesting because I recently took uh, my girlfriend through watching Mad Men. And Henry, have you seen Mad Men? I, I've only seen a little bit of the beginning. of. of that's all it takes. I, yeah, to I, vague, I, I was, I was that's not really all it interested. Takes. <laughs> so it, I mean, it really is uh, a wild show. But what it does is it doesn't shy away from from some of the kind of cultural realities of the time. And it it even incorporates, yeah, yeah, 50s and 60s. It even incorporates major historical moments as well into into the show. But it it just, this makes me think of that because here you had a woman in Scarlett Johansson who who signed up to do Iron Man 2 and was sexualized. And in one interview, she even says, yeah, I, I was almost, I was basically typecast into this probably by a bunch of dudes in suits. Uh, and yeah. in the industry, and she's she almost takes it as a compliment, and now she understands. And probably, I don't think she would do that again. But then you also have Mad Men, where all of these women knew exactly what they were doing and portraying a former way of things. Yeah. And it just made it, it it just makes me feel a little interesting on the on the idea of consent when it comes to what an actor does on screen. And this is where where you where you said you know no one go after no one go after Robert Downey Jr. here because it's it's a line being said and I was thinking if I'm a guy in that situation and there's a line like this or whatever it may be that I'm so in character I don't even think about the fact that this is you know what this is actually doing what it means yeah but the other you know the other assumption is that the the woman might be you know Scarlet might consent to doing this and so while i may be uncomfortable with the line that is the character as a playboy billionaire and so i do it assuming that that she's given her consent by being here granted contractual obligations you know notwithstanding but it just makes me it's just really interesting for what reasons women choose to go into these kinds of roles that and men too by the way because objectification happens for men as well and the you know, just what makes what what goes into those decisions and what mindset they have as they as they play these characters, and it, it, yeah, just it just Mad Men is is kind of this voluntary portrayal, intentionally so. It's not like one line or just kind of hints and glances and and you know different scenes in the movie. Like the whole point is that they're being sexualized and being reduced to only the role of assistants and secretaries. So. That's- yeah, and, and and this might be a good time, I mean, too, because I could say something about, yeah, there's obviously consent. There's something to be said that even in this interview, Scarlett's making a comment more like she wants to be part of this shift. And so we don't know the, the mindset Correct. of the ladies going into Mad Men or whatever they think they're accomplishing with that. There could also be something to say about societal pressure that kind of is forced consent, which is an oxymoron. 
Yes. Uh, you know, it's like, well, if I'm going to get in this industry and I'm going to do this, just put up with it for now. It, it, you know, you read about yep. this some some articles about ladies that have to do nude scenes, you mm-hmm. know, and then of course there's certain actresses that get a lot of credit now who just refused. Yeah. Right. Or but, just uh, think it, of uh, literally anyone that Harvey Weinstein has ever interacted oh, with. Mercy. Yes. Uh, trigger warning there. So, ooh, I mean, that makes me want to sneeze literally over that for some don't, reason. I can feel it. Coming, I don't blame yeah. you. No, don't blame me. But anyway, more than sneeze. But that this brings up a good point where we should probably actually give a definition, a working definition for where we're going. And this is a definition I did not come up with. I'm going to say this is this is a definition directly out of the science realm, and it's something called objectification theory, which mm-hmm. through our looking into this, apparently that's a theory that was really established in 1997 as far as an official terminology for this, but it's, it's drawn off of studies from the 1990s. And so sexual objectification, we would call it sexualization, but in, in, in science they're calling it sexual objectification. Here's the definition for us, and kind of what Ryan and I are playing with here is we that might be a poor choice of words, uh, in, in light of this topic, but what we're going to use to talk about it, and it is this. Sexual objectification is a form of body reductionism that occurs whenever a person is fragmented into a collection of sexual body parts or functions, is considered as a silent declaration, decoration, and is evaluated solely on the basis of his or her appearance. Mm. Now, that's the really scientific wordy way. If I had to reword that, I would say sexualization is when a person is primarily looked at as sexual body parts are serving a sexual function, and therefore it's best if they're quiet and they're only judged on their appearance or the fulfillment of said sexual functions. That would mm. probably be a more just clear way of saying that mumbo-jumbo. But, that, but that's literally it. Somebody's judged only on their appearance. They are looked at as the fulfillment of a sexual need. And other than that, you would rather they just butt out of your life and be quiet. They're, they're, yep. they're eye candy. They're a wall decoration. That's kind of what they were saying. That, that their yeah. only point is to serve a sexual end. Yep. And the, what's, what's interesting is that this is something, I see this kind of like, kind of this similarly to how people would view racism, which is that, that there's this prevailing belief that you know, it's not racist unless they said it's racist. And even then, we're not really sure, right? Even the, at one point, the head of the KKK said, I'm not a racist. And, you know, it, it, so as long as they don't admit it, that was a big thing. When I made a video uh, over a year ago now about the Amy Cooper incident, the big thing, which is in Central Park, the same day as the George Floyd shooting, the big thing that came out was, how do you know it? You know, you can't know that that's racist. You can't show that that's racist intent because she didn't say it and and she wasn't, and, and it's one of those things that's like, if it talks like a duck and walks like a duck, then it's definitely a duck, a duck, you know? So the, this is one of those things that when someone objectifies someone else, it's likely they're not thinking of that definition or they're not thinking of the, the kind of the outcomes of what they're actually doing, but that doesn't change what they're actually doing. doing. And you know, if you're driving in the wrong way on the wrong side of the road, if, if you're, you know, if you're in America, you go, you go to Europe and you start driving and you drive on the right side of the road. Well, you're actually driving on the wrong side of the road, well, right? You would so, be, let's be fair. You would be, you would be fine everywhere in Europe, except Ireland and the UK. Okay. There you go. So Ireland and the UK, let's go with those two specifically. So, uh, but The reality is you can think you're not doing something or you can think you're doing something right. And in reality, you're actually doing something completely wrong. And this is one of those things where it, this tends to be a sinister internal thing. And it is really bad on places like Reddit or on social media in general that has any sort of anonymity involved because the second people find out that someone's a girl, suddenly their inbox is flooded just absolutely flooded with inappropriate messages, inappropriate pictures, inappropriate requests, you name it. And it doesn't happen to every girl, but it happens to quite a lot of them. And yeah. it's just, this is, this is the culture that we're in, is this hypersexualization this, and this objectification of women. The, the adage is true, unfortunately, that sex sells. Actually, it's not, though we think it is. 
Okay, okay. So this will be fun. I didn't know we were going here, but cool. We get we're to jump here. right into this. So we're here. So what I mean by that is not that society doesn't operate from the assumption that sex sells, but actually some of the latest research that's coming out of the marketing field and scientific studies on this is starting to call into question whether sex actually sells, and this isn't just society forcing these roles to continue. Now, by that, what I mean is, let's talk about, first of all, that assumption that sex sells, because that is true. And the American Psychological Association, working with Wesleyan University, researchers at Wesleyan University, found on average that across 58 different magazines, they were just using print uh, as proof of this right now, but we can see it in television and other things, 51.8% of the advertisements that featured women portrayed them primarily as sex objects. Now, if the women appeared in advertisements in men's magazines, that went all the way up to 76%. Duh. Mm. Uh, that would not probably surprise anyone. But this idea that sex sells is true in the way that people are approaching marketing and media. That adage is true in our mind. So then they decided in, uh, they spent several years doing a study in Italy that came out in 2020, right before COVID hit, I believe. And they went to Italy and they decided, let's test this actually you know, scientifically on men and women and see, does sex sell? Because they were starting to notice that men were starting to catch up as being objectified even in advertising. You're starting to see a lot more muscular underwear men and bronzed whatever. And they were starting to say, okay, now- Oh, so like Abercrombie and Fitch in the mid to late or or like the early thousands. Has that that's ever what stopped describing. with them? I don't know. It hasn't, I but remember, I just, I just that's the last when time I, guys would go to get their advertising brochures. Yeah, no, that's, that's the, I had yeah. a, I had this whole thing planned out in high school of like making a where's Waldo game, but it was like the nipple in Abercrombie advertisements because oh, there was dude. always one on a guy like obviously on the guy because advertisements, but like it was always Shape, one in chest, every photo, everything. Yeah. Yep. That yeah, was a real do thing. All the Beckham advertisements now for him doing like cologne, but he's in underwear. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. But our reaction to that's going to prove this study. So anyway, so they decided they were going to go do a study and they were going to figure out, okay, does sex actually sell? What are the reactions to people that are watching these advertisements with female and male models? And, and what are the responses and, and emotions that come out of that? All right, so they they went there, and this was, I'm trying to see, again, I only have the names of the researchers, because I went to the actual paper that they published, and we'll have a link to this this study yes. in the show notes for sure, uh, but it was, it looks like three three ladies and one guy were the researchers, so that's just, I don't know if that matters, but it's just interesting, and they did four uh, four studies on this. To try and see. Now I'm going to scroll down right here to the first thing that's going to be interesting. So they were looking at, um, first of all, let's tell them what they were looking at. And they chose Italy for this reason. First of all, 81.27% of women in advertising in Italy, they found, were depicted as models sexually available or pre-orgasmic. They were either used as a decoration or fragmented into body parts, so kind of along with our definition. So apparently, and I've not been watching Italian media to back this up, but I'm just going, the researchers chose Italy because they believed that was one of the media environments where this was most obviously being done in in media, the objectification and sexualization of women. And uh, so they said, okay, well, this would be a good place to, to start. So they went in and started looking at this, And they compared ads in each of these four studies at different levels of sexualization. So they would start with ones that were fully dressed, but hinting at something. Then they would move to partly dressed. Uh, And then apparently in Italy, another reason they did the study here is there are some advertisements in Italy where they can be fully nude. Oh. Whereas in the United States, our our media regulatory environment is such that nudity is not something that's particularly allowed in commercials uh, per se. And, and I can back this up. I don't know about Italy, but I know that when I was living in the Czech Republic, I, I remember as an American, one of the first things that threw me off when I moved there was they had billboards. I don't know if they did it so much on TV because I didn't watch a lot of it there, but they had billboards where you would see an entire nude woman. And it took you a second to figure out what is the product they're selling? Because it would just be like a pinup lady there. And it might be a little yeah. bottle of glue or something down by her foot. And you're just like, 
I would not have initially saw that and thought, I got to buy glue, other than to glue my eyelids shut from what I just saw. Uh, oh, so you're saying she wasn't it, attractive. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. Okay, that goes to the sexualization thing, but there it shouldn't you go. matter whether she's attractive or not, Ryan. Right? This should, it should See, matter so, there's this and this woman is, on a billboard. This is the point. So I actually should apologize for that. So I'm going to, because this is how ingrained it is, that it's so easy to make a comment or a joke and not like not even think twice about it. So Henry, actually, thank you. I'm leaving this in the episode, but I should not have made that comment. Absolutely. And I thought more well, about and, the quiver, but this is, where, you, this is where it just comes in. Like it just happens. Yeah. And, and, to be, and to be fair to you, I easily could have been the one doing this and we could have done it in reverse because I'm yeah. sure there'll be some point in this I'm going to say something not even thinking about it, which isn't an excuse. We're holding each other accountable. So hold me accountable when I do the same, I'm sure at some point. As we're going through this, because a lot of it's now ingrained subconsciously yeah. because society this is, stuff that, is, is pushing this. This is stuff that you and I have, have talked about before. This is stuff that I, we've handled on this show for years. This is stuff that, that, I have, that I have made it a point to bring up and, and try and get better at. And even on a, on a podcast with a bunch of listeners, like I still, I still can fall into that old habit very, very easily. It is just the... Uh, and part of that for me, this is what's interesting, is the impulsiveness that comes with my ADHD that sometimes I have a hard time not saying something if it came to my mind. And it is a, it's just a reality. This is part of the thing that we have to unlearn and undo. And that's why I'm really glad, Henry, that you, that you, you know, confronted it immediately. Because I actually didn't even, it didn't click in my head until you said, until you said what you did. Yeah. Well, and that's why we're here. It's absurd, but the absurdity starts with us. We got to work through it. So now let's talk about, moving on from that, what the researchers found pretty absurd in this study, because they worked from a hypothesis that they were going to find this sexualization really increased sales and everything else. And here's what they found across the four studies. I'm jumping, of course, down to their general discussion of the results, but in the link that we will have there, you can go, and it's, it's scientifically presented, you can go in depth about all their hypotheses and formulas in each study and what they were doing and how many people they were studying. But here's basically the, the top line results. So first, across the four studies, they found surprisingly that women were less attracted towards products and had lower purchase intentions when they were presented with sexualized models versus neutral ads. And that's not just they were negatively reacting to women being sexualized in, in something, but when they watched you know, media that had men sexualized in it, it was still consistent. They had lower intentions to buy the product, and they had a negative emotional reaction to the ad. Mm. So at least their first thought was like, okay, so women at least must not be too responsive to sexualization in media, but they said, well, surely in our next study, men, that's going to, clearly it's all targeted to men anyway. So their hypothesis then changed to, well, advertising must just not be generated towards women, at least in the sexualization aspect. There are media that's targeted that, but they said sexualization is probably not a, not a good go from that. Well, then they went to the men and they were actually rather shocked about how that turned out as well. Uh, while there was more uh, hostile sexism that could develop in the men watching this, and by hostile sexism, they mean subconsciously, what, however the man responded to the, to the study or not, he was forming a negative view of the role of women, period. And so, therefore, mm. it's going to impact how he interacts with women. So, this is, a, this is a side note that they started studying and said, actually, no matter what their emotional response is at the time of the ad, sexualized advertisement increased men's hostility towards women subconsciously. Hmm. So this, this is a fascinating thing that they said they wanted to do more studies on, but it's beyond the scope of the study. So apparently, whether you buy the product or not, or whether the, article, uh, whether the advertisement increases our desire for the product or not, it increases our hostility towards women in general. Yeah, because, I, I mean, they're being... Thought- <laughs> Yeah, because they're being used to, I mean, it just reinforces the stereotypes that exist about women and reinforces the, the, I, I think the adage is true. You're right in the assumption or, or in the culture of sex sells. So when I see a, a, an advertisement that I may not want to respond to, or I may not like responding to, right? I see it, I'm disgusted by it and I, and I click away. 
which is something I very much had to do for for a long time was like actively uh actively kind of turn away from this stuff and but there's also the acceptance of like other people will buy this and I assume I'm different from everyone else so I just think it's not for me but I understand you know or assume that reality it doesn't change my it doesn't do anything for my opinion of the woman but it does it's 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 why we don't see any hostility or as much hostility towards the actual advertisement itself, and it it manifests itself in the sexism instead. Yeah, we just kind of assume that there's a market, so we don't do anything about it. It's just kind of a it's assumed reality that we just kind of live with instead of actually fighting to do something about it. Right. So now let's let's do the men part real quick, and then we can just discuss this. I think we'll have gotten enough out of this. Here here's another interesting find they that they found. Uh, well, one last thing about women transferring into men. So they did find that the sexualization of women in media not only had the negative reaction emotionally for women and a lack of their desire to purchase the product, whether it was men or female models that were in the ad, uh, but probably a shocker to no one, especially any of our, our female viewers, if they saw women's bodies, sexualized or not, the amount of people, uh, the amount of satisfaction with their own physique that women experienced plummeted uh, in the mm. advertisement. Uh, and this lines up with a Dove self-esteem project that found only 11% of girls worldwide who watch this media would call themselves beautiful. That 6 in 10 girls avoid participating in life activities because concerns of the way they look yep. versus models on television. And then two stati uh, three statistics I thought were really sad. One third of all six-year-olds in Japan, this is six years old, one third of six-year-olds in Japan experience low body confidence thanks to media. Australian girls list body image as one of their top three worries in life. And 81% of 10-year-old girls in the U.S. say they're afraid of being fat. Yep. And again, they, they take this from these studies. So now, probably to some people listening, that doesn't shock us. Well, now watch what happens when they flip all of this stuff to men. So obviously, this doesn't surprise me, actually. Studies with the sexualization of men in advertising show that men reacted emotionally negative to an advertisement with a man being sexualized in it. Okay? Probably doesn't surprise us. However, in direct correlation with the females and their study, they found out that the sexualization of men, and particularly those that showed some sort of studded male model or a bare-chested model that had you know, a lot more of definition muscularly, they found a direct correlation to men right, feeling an extremely negative response to the hypermuscularized men, and the overall men's satisfaction in their body plummeted at almost the same rate as women. Wow. Which I wouldn't have thought of because I've seen some of these advertisements and just been like, I don't need to see David Beckham, you know, in underwear. Mm -hmm. I don't need whatever. But now it's got me double thinking, like, have I walked away from that advertisement sitting here like, I'm a flabby chested, whatever, you know, I, it made me start thinking. Well, I was like, well, maybe that is impacting me negatively. Well, and I wonder what the, if it's an aggregate impact, right? Like it happens over time and it's just something that you don't right. necessarily connect to. Like you don't connect the emotions to the experience, but it is something that influences you over time when you're when you're inundating your mind with one thing and then you and then you know you're faced days, weeks, months, years later with something with a with a situation where those feelings come into play. Right. I just, and I would have to get more into these 70 pages of this study to figure that yeah. out, but that's beyond the scope of this. So the final line item, because I'm just taking forever to get through this. Um, they also found that when men saw sexualized advertisements with women, while they were they had increased sexual arousal, which means men watching it, we get some sort of sexual arousal at some state that occurs pretty much across the board. Uh, they found out that a man's response, a man's desire to purchase said product was neutral at best, which means we didn't care one way or the other. Right. And that at times, while there was not much of a negative feeling towards the item in effect, it still did not increase any sort of desire to purchase it. And again, the two main things that came out of it had nothing to do with the product. It was increased uh, a sexual arousal and an increased sexual hostility towards women. Mm. 
So basically, in short, the line item is we're no more interested in purchasing the product than before we saw the semi-nude woman or sexually, you know, woman sexually suggesting something. But we are much more aroused and have much more distaste for women. So the product hasn't been sold at all. It's just, in fact, our mind is now somewhere else. I'm not even thinking about whatever product you were selling. Apparently, as a whole, we're... At best, we're neutral. And if ladies are watching it, they don't want to buy it at all. They're just negative towards it. And if it's a guy on it, again, we're not thinking about the product. We're not thinking, I guess, that we suck. So along the lines, that was a fancy way of saying sex isn't apparently selling anything as far as a product, Mm. or at least the product the companies think they're selling. Well, and that's the, the... It goes back to something that when we had Tyler Patrick on the show, he had mentioned, which is that in all marketing is... Marketing starts from the place that you are not enough. We are convincing you that you your life is not complete without this thing. That you need this to feel whole or you need this to feel better. And I can't do something that makes you feel better if you don't feel bad. If I don't paint yeah. some picture of... Uh, in, in marketing, this is also called poking the bear, where you introduce the problem and then you poke it and you make it worse. You, you, you amplify so what the I problem have to is. To it. Correct. And then you dive in. Now, this is a dangerous ethical game to play because on occasion, there is a good reason to market things. Like there's a, there is, and there is something to be said about the neutral observation that, yes, something is not enough right now, right? If you wanted to market a climate change solution, (laughs) that makes sense, right? Uh, But when it starts talking about, when you start getting into the categories of self-worth and esteem and you are not enough without this product, then I have to give you, I also have to paint the ideal of where you should be or where I believe you should be if you use my my product. And that creates a ton of issues. And yes, is absolutely the reason that that people have uh, people have body issues and body image uh, yeah. body image problems. I between that and it here's and here's my thing I, I i think part of this so so scarlett johansson had said my own self-worth was probably measured against that type of comment like a lot of young women and the reality for a lot of women is that they're told that you do have to have those compliments you do have to dress for those com- or like your worth is only in what you f- what your physical body can provide to your significant other and i do believe that translates into lesbian bisexual relationships as well. The, but, but they're told that over and over and over again. And so they believe that they have to do these things. And if they don't have these, then they aren't enough. And so then they're willing to do things that they shouldn't have done. They give consent to things where they normally wouldn't because they just believe that that's what they're supposed to do. And it gets ingrained by mothers, it gets ingrained by fathers, it gets ingrained by uh, significant others and, you know, brothers, older sisters, mentors. I mean, you name it. It's it's everywhere that your self-worth is determined by, or your worth is determined by what your body can provide for other people. And it's gross. So it doesn't even have to come from the advertising. It comes from just the way that we've kind of built culture. And sustained it for this way for basically all of history. Well, yeah, uh, among other things. And and then, as I said, the thing that was kind of jumping out at me in this study overall is that, like you said, it's a dangerous game to play. They're going at it saying like, hey, you know, kind of in a misunderstanding of Freudian science, as they would say, because a lot that's a discussion for another time, how this marketing switched, because you'll see a lot of marketing in the 40s and 50s that are like, this bar of soap is more effective than that bar of soap. So use it for a clean wash, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And and it was almost, we look at it now like dumb. Like it was all about the product itself. And we're like, that's stupid. And like nowadays advertisement has nothing to do with the product itself. It has to do with how you're going to feel with it and how it, you know, it doesn't say whether it's better or not or, Mm -hmm. or or whatnot. But I, I almost feel like corporations and things are trying, they think they're doing one thing. Look, I'm selling this thing. And now science is starting to bear out. You're not actually selling your product. You're selling a different product you didn't know you were selling. Mm. Right? You're you're selling this kind of culture that is actually just creating a mass culture. This kind of goes back to our interview again. A mass culture of shame 
And so the only thing they're accomplishing is doing the part of making everybody feel insecure and irrelevant and not complete, but they can't convince anybody to buy their product to fix it. So we just all end in the yeah. hole. Now, I am curious about, I'm very curious about something and I want to dig into that study to see, I, not anything I can confirm here, but I do wonder what the, what the overlap is between the advertising target audience and the people that, the participants of the study, because I'd be really interested to see in some of those advertisements, what the actual return on investment for those marketing tactics actually is for these companies that keep doing it. Because the bottom line is there is a, if you're saying 10% of a group is going to do this, well, if 10% of a group is going to do this, but I'm actually aiming for a subgroup within that 10%, then really it's only 1%, but I only need all of that 1% and their marketing dollars in order to get, you know, and, and all of their income, disposable income to, you know, make my sales and to hit my bottom line. So right, I'd be true. really I interested. Mean, yeah, I'd be interested to see the overlap. Yeah, and that's beyond the scope of today, although you yeah. will have access to it as well in, in, in the show notes. But, you know, dig into the 70 pages. I will admit. Because I'm the one who creates this. the show notes. So I will I, I'm, definitely I'm gonna say, have access. So you will definitely have access to it. And you can get into the, you know, I, I'll be honest. I, I was staying more on the top lines. They have pages of each study and what they were doing. And I'm sure it would mm. answer that. But that was kind of beyond me going like, oh, I don't need that right now. No. But I love. But, but yeah. I love that. That. Scarlett Johansson talked about being a part of the evolution of the story and actually coming out the other side. I think she did position herself as a role model for younger women in that first, you know, first Iron Man for for a lot of girls that saw that movie or saw, you know, you see a a awesome female heroine who can who can kick butt and take names, right? Like you've got someone who's really strong and over the course of 10 years growing up in the with the Marvel universe you see that woman become less and less sexualized and more and more just uh, I, I think at one point she said uh, she said that it, her her character was now defined by vulnerability instead of sexualization and that I, I think you can see that completely in endgame uh, infinity war endgame and, and it's just so What's really cool is that she gets to lead by example in that, and that even through a character that someone else wrote, you can see her own growth as a woman and how she portrays that, uh, portrays that character. And I, I just think that's really cool. And, and I think that that's a, that's a journey that we have to figure out how to model better too. So we both have to do better at affirming value from the get-go. But for people who are already in the position of doubting their self-worth and, and of being in this low self-image, and low body image position, we also need to model what the journey out of that really looks like. And we need to celebrate those moments too, I think. Uh, and same yes. for men. It's just that that for... I, it, it's it's not that I want to talk about... Correct. It's not that I don't want to talk yeah. about men. It's that... It, it, or it, it's just that this has been it's happening so to women a lot It's so easy to be like, now let's talk about men because we're men. And it's like, well... Yes. Once again, women have been left behind. Correct. That was yeah. yeah. So I, I just think it's important that that we we celebrate those moments where we see that evolution happening. And I'm and and I think that's that's a great example to point to. And I'm really glad that Scarlett Johansson has taken kind of the the taken the platform that she has to to highlight this kind of growth. Yes, and I, and I think we would be amiss if we didn't even spend a couple minutes talking about the fact this isn't just advertising and wider society. This is also in religion. And and in the church, and I would I would argue that society is reflecting values, if you want to call them that, that the that the church foisted upon society. I mean, if mm-hmm. you you know you talk about the hypersexualization of women in the media and all that, and it's easy as people of faith to point and be like, yeah, look at you know Cheetos and Coke and whoever did all this stuff. And the point is, if you sit in most religious communities, women have been hypersexualized, even if they wouldn't. Think of it as that way. Yeah, we may not be parading them up front in bikinis to read the scripture, right? And being like, get this version of the Bible now, and you too can see my tit. You yep. know, we're not we're not doing it that way, but we're almost doing an inverse of the exact same thing. Right? Where churches in the West, we tend to 
because we bought the lie of their hypersexualization and we only view them as sex objects, now there's an inverse fear of their sexualization, which just continues the stereotype, right? So now the fear is, well, don't worry, you know, man, women, women, the way they dress is going to lead your brother astray, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're just a sex object or now that you're married, remember your only job is to pleasure your husband sexually because you are a sex object or you know, because women did X, Y, Z, now their only point is to submit to their husbands and have sex and raise kids. And it's like so much of what's happening even in religion at its core is admitting or at least affirming the societal narrative that women are just sex objects. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to say, I, I preached a sermon on this uh, around Christmas. I made this my Christmas sermon. Uh, I know we, I, I even preface by saying that this is the one time of year we, we normally talk about the women. And we are, but I want to. Did actually, you know? I really wanted to talk about. Given. Yeah, I wanted to talk yeah. about uh, Joseph, because think about the cultural reality and what in in the historical context of what happens if Joseph truly be, doesn't doesn't buy the story, which he eventually does. But well, if it he took doesn't, an angel talking to yes, him, which, it did. Uh, <laughs> but what happens to Mary if he doesn't buy the if he doesn't end up buying into the story and She's walks dead. away? Yep, like that's. This isn't a new thing within within religious culture. And I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, so down no with religion then. talking about the Mary and Joseph I, story. Correct. I think we need to, I think we, we, we have a lot to apologize for and make up for. And even, and especially in our own denomination for how women have been treated. And I, I like I said, I don't think it's reason to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but this is something that has kind of plagued all of human history, both inside and outside of the church. So there's no high ground that we get to claim as Christians in this area. If anything, we've been a major part of perpetuating it for as long as it's gone on. Well, we have. We were warned about it. We've mentioned this a couple of times. We were warned about it in Genesis 3. Not turning mm-hmm. it into a Bible study, but when selfishness entered the human experience, it becomes might makes right, survival of the fittest, you know, like Darwinian evolution. And, and the statement is, if it's might makes right, 94 Six percent of the time, you put a man and a woman together. Which one is physically stronger? This is not a statement against women biologically or anything else. And there are some women that could snap me in half with their pinkies. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just yeah. saying, right? A, a, as a whole, it tends to be men. And so I, I like to say one of the the oldest injustice in the Bible is how men treat women. It starts yes. at the beginning. I mean, you don't even have to go and. To the next chapter, when now a guy named Lamech takes two women as his wife, right? And I don't think they had any say in the matter, right? So there, there's this idea that immediately women are subjugated or put down or devalued or are used as sex objects. I mean, how many people in the Bible were always like, well, their job is to give me an heir, you know, so I'm going to sleep with all of them. Uh, it's just... It started at the beginning, and it started with religious folk. And I yep. don't think, like you said, that doesn't mean I'm going to throw religion out. It just means I need to recognize that. Well, actually, I want to rephrase that. I don't mind throwing religion out. I I, I, th- I mind throwing out, you know, the scriptural narrative. I, I don't want to throw that out at the same time. And we need to hold religion accountable for that. We we have been, you know, long before media changed, we were preaching these theologies before Freud ever came onto the scene. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, I, 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 the only reason I say not throwing religion out is because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are quite antagonistic toward, toward religion that, that would say that what you said is there's no differentiation. If someone believes in the scriptures or the scriptural narrative, then they're inherently religious, which is, you know, it is I, I what it so is. But true. that's why I just said that. I, 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 I want to be clear there that, that there, yes, I believe there is a distinction between the two. And institution, especially between institutionalized religion that that seeks political power and seeks the subjugation of others actively, um, versus just you know belief in the scriptures, following God or following you know whatever one believes to be God. The yeah, just just wanted to to, to touch on that. But I I think this is an area that because it is so ingrained. I mean, we we've seen it in this this episode already coming up. It, it, there's a lot that we need to do in the realm of improvement. And I guess 
the first place to start is I always like to say that there's no systemic change that can happen without first individual change. That and to be that that systemic change is actually is actually the the kind of result of an aggregate number of individual changes or changes happening in individuals that that lead us there. And the this is something that does start on the heart level and I think does start on the relational level. And I'm grateful for Henry and my friendship where you know, you you and I can call each other out immediately when when one of us makes an inappropriate joke or comment, and we're fine. We can keep talking, and we know we know what what happened. We aren't shying away from it necessarily, but I'm not mad at you for for my wrongdoing, right? And I think we need to focus on investing in relationships to make them strong enough to have those moments, to be able to have friends and loved ones close to you that can call you out whenever you enter a blind spot. I think that's massively important to to help you identify what your blind spots are. And that doesn't happen unless you know that it's, you know, I don't call that out in someone unless I know it's safe to do so, unless I have their permission to do so. Uh, that That's something that is, I think we see it with celebrities on the grand scale or like on Twitter or social media, because inherently you are giving permission by being public about it. Uh, you know, you, you, are, you are inviting discourse back at you. And when you do something publicly, it, it ends up inviting public response. So I think that's, that's a little bit different. But I think on the personal level, I think it, you know, having those meaningful friendships where both of us know what our goals are and where we're wanting to be, and allowing, which allows us to hold our, each other accountable in the moments where we fall short of that. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's all about accountability, which I would argue, biblically speaking, is what the church community is supposed to be, that safe place of accountability. Right now, by safe, I don't mean you don't feel uncomfortable about it, but this should be the realm in which we are moving towards the higher ideal. We are moving towards the standard, and the first step to recovery is admitting you even have a problem. Now, let's be honest. For the most part, we're we the only problem we quote admit to having is that women apparently are going to lead you and I astray just by the way they look. To which <laughs> I want to respond. You know, listen, you can't stop a bird from pooping in your hair, which. Side note, I'm going to just say a funny story to lighten this up a minute. I can't believe I'm going to admit this out in public, but it first ever happened to me like a couple of weeks ago. This should have been a precursor to warning to some things that were going to start happening in my life. My wife and I were <laughs> literally walking the dog, bright sunshine in a part of the neighborhood, no trees, no nothing. We were walking and all of a sudden I thought a bug had just hit me in the back of my head because I felt this thump right in the back of my hand. And so I put my hand up to swat it away. And as I went to swat it away, I felt something wet on my hand and I pulled it back and a bird had taken a dump in my hair. I mean, I assume flying overhead somewhere and it, you know, they just went. And of all the improbable mathematical equations, it managed to hit me in the head. I was humiliated. And then my wife was even more humiliated when she watched me kneel down and start wiping my head like a dog on the grass of the lawn we were near. I love that. I love that. Just the idea of like uh, a bird pooped on my head. I must kneel. I must bow. I know what yeah, you were actually doing, but I just bird. love like yeah. that's what first came to my head was I must bow before this bird with impeccable aim. Very specific yeah, ex- impeccable exactly. aim. Almighty eagle of the sky, whatever, you know. But I love it. But anyway... You know, so here's the thing. I couldn't prevent, this is the point I'm going to, I couldn't prevent the bird from hitting me in the head, apparently. However, if that bird had all of a sudden appeared at that moment and then landed on my head and started making a nest, I definitely would have had some say in preventing that from happening. And and I feel like, you know, the the church and society have missed this where they think... a woman walked by and she looks a certain way. Yep. So now I've 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 nested in sin. Okay, yeah. I had a lot of choices along the way before I even got to that point. And why is it the woman's fault that I react in a certain way? Mm. I, I mean, it's it's just like again, it's just taking the blame away from the. Is the woman telling me what to think? No. Is the woman telling me what to do? No. So why is it all of a sudden her fault? that I start dwelling on something, right? It, it, it's just, you know, that's just, we need to admit the problem isn't the woman, it's the person responding to her. Yeah. It, right? it, I'm not saying... This is the, this is a, this is a major point in, in working with, with desexualization. This is a major point of purity culture, which is to stop 
making yourself the victim when you were the offender. It is not someone else's fault that you did what you did or that you thought what you thought. It might be, it might be someone else's fault for teaching you that that was okay to do. But at some point, it becomes your responsibility. There was a, I've told this story before. It's, it's, I know we, you and I will always advocate for therapy and going to counseling regularly. But there was a time, uh, I was about seven years ago, eight years ago now, where I went to counseling. And I think you know this story where I was going specifically because I wanted to address my pornography addiction. And at the time, I didn't realize that you have to deal with what's underneath first, not necessarily like that it's a manifestation of other things. No pun intended. Correct. And so I was going to this, uh, this kind of hellfire and brimstone therapist because I wanted to go to a Christian counselor and closest one I could find that wasn't tied to, (laughs) yep. And I was a student going into pastoral ministry, so I didn't want to deal with it within my denomination for obvious reasons. So I go to him and about two or three sessions in, he tells me, Ryan, I just want you to know that this is not your fault that you're addicted. And then he goes in to tell me that my dad, who died 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago now, almost 11 years ago from, from this point, but in the story, you know, it was, it was just about five years or so the, or however long, uh, the, the, he tells me, yeah, this is, this is your dad's fault. This is your dad's failure. And this is not on you. And your dad will face judgment or is facing judgment before God for, uh, for allowing this to happen to you. My dad didn't even know about it. Number one, really, he did actually try to deal with it when it, when he did find out about it. And, and I was kind of caught one time and like he was, he was very, very aware of it. And no, I'm, I was 21 at the time. Like it's on me, dude. Like I, I, what, how are you going to, how are you going to pin this on a guy who's not even here to defend himself and whom, whom you've never met? This isn't on him. At some point I'm an adult responsible for my own decisions. This is on me. And I like it, it shocked me that I that I even had I was so stunned by that comment. I I was actually I froze up just I was just so taken taken off guard and and but this is what we do internally what that therapist did that, or counselor I won't even say therapist what that counselor did that is what we that is what we often do when it comes to this specific topic where I'll say you caused me to fall not my failure to guard my own heart, my failure to, my decision to do this is why I, you know, is the problem. Not, I, and, and I did this, not you did this to me. Right. And I would point out to people of religious background, particularly Christians, please remember that as soon as sin, iniquity, evil, whatever you want to define it as, entered the human experience, one of the very first things that happened was the man threw the woman under the bus for his action. Yep. Very first thing that happens. Uh, like, like the very first thing, like, you know, God's like, where are you? He's like, well, the woman you made. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, this is nothing new under the sun. And I'm not saying yeah. women can't be guilty of certain things, but you just need to double check yourself if your first gut instinct is to show grace to one individual, but the moment a woman's involved, now she's guilty. You know. Yeah. And by the way, in the ultimate irony, this happens a lot in faiths that we elevate someone like Mary. Right. So she's a, a huge figure in Christianity, the Blessed Virgin, the Blessed Mother, you know, whatever. And at the same time, the people that venerate a woman destroy her and all the other women that they meet. Mm. Right. So they, you know, if you want to get really, whether I agree with this theology or not, so you believe there's something noble and beautiful about the Blessed Virgin, but anyone that bears any of her same semblance or likeness in life, you can treat like garbage because she's Satan's object to destroy you. Like, that does not compute. Like, again, I could pick on our own faith. We've, our own denomination has had a, an abysmal record with women, and yet we were helped, we, a woman helped found the church. Like, yeah. how do you have a woman help found it, and then we're still like, yes, they suck. Like, mm. ah, just, humanity, if left to ourselves, we can be really dumb. Yep. And we often are really dumb. That's just the reality of it. So um, I, I do want to kind of send us off here. And once again, I really want to make it clear. I don't know if I actually said the words. And I think when apologizing, 
in the world world of apologies and forgiveness, it's important to say. So I am sorry for the comments that I made earlier in this episode. I want to make sure that that is explicitly said here because I think that's important in any apology that you do that. Um, number two, I hope that this. I hope that that people have learned something from this episode, whether it's from us talking, from the study, from the comments. I you know we we are sourcing everything, so you're welcome to go into the show notes and dive into that. I do think that we need to hold each other accountable better when it comes to these things. And no, that doesn't mean necessarily we, we remove anyone in our life that ever does these things or, you know, oh, you're a friend who's made these jokes in the past, so I'm done now because I've realized that I don't want that in my life. But rather, this is a time where we need to learn boundary setting. This is an opportunity for us to learn those boundaries and what it looks like to actually enforce those boundaries with our friends. And I, I have someone who I almost had to pull a restraining order on at one point. And that person, when they're, when they're around me, it's been probably a little over a year since they've last spoken to me or tried to speak to me, but occasionally I still run into them. And if they say any word to me, I ignore them and walk and keep walking. But if they come up to me and I don't care who I'm with, I don't care if it's strangers that I'm with, people I just met or my best friends, I will very, very loudly and very, very forwardly say, you know that I have forbidden you from talking to me because you have violated my boundaries. You've disrespected my boundaries. And I've asked you to stop talking to me. And just so we're clear, this is me we're talking about, meaning that someone had to go pretty far for me to get to the point that I don't care about anyone else's opinion when I draw the line and when I enforce my boundary. So this is something, that's, that's how significant this is. And it's important that we learn how to have boundaries, learn how to enforce those boundaries in our friendships, because I believe that means that the people that we have around us at the point that we have those boundaries in place are the people, the exact people that we do want around us and that we do want to have that journey of life together with. So I would highly encourage people in that direction. And Henry, before I send us off, I'd love to throw it back to you for any final thoughts that you have as well. Well, first of all, thank you for modeling the kind of behavior that we're talking about here, because that's the only thing that's going to start, you know, breaking through this issue. And I would admit, you know, just inspired by you, I go on a limb and say that I want to apologize for all the times I've consumed media in a way, and whether publicly or not, I have, you know, I'm trying to think back when I've watched Iron Man 2 or whatever, and I'm sure, just knowing me, I smirked at comments like that. Or I have even done things like watched Wonder Woman, which I know is switching universes, but you know, you'll watch that and you'll be like, I like her as Wonder Woman because she's really pretty. Well, okay, there's one thing about recognizing that someone, you know, is attractive, but it's another thing if again, a lot of my assessments and judgments in media and whatnot, I'm I'm not immune from, huh, how do they look? Or huh, I wonder what it'd be like to be with them, or whatever. And mm-hmm. that's that the first step to recovery is you have to grapple with your own inner demons. You have to recognize where that is where that is going. And and then ask for those you trust, and especially I would assume women around you, you know, people like my wife, your girlfriend, whatever, and, and go, hey, help me in this, you know, help me, help me grow into it's not and the Bible would talk about it. it's not that it's wrong to be aroused by somebody or, or be attracted to them, but there there has to be boundaries and consent involved in that. And, and of course, it's, it's one thing if you can't control the initial thought that goes into your mind, we're not saying we need thought place, but it's, you can definitely control if you dwell on it. It's one thing if yeah. I see a passing thing and go, oh man, she's hot. It's another thing if I spend the next two hours <laughs> undressing her in my mind and then going and, you know, masturbating or something else over her. That, that's, it's all on you, man. By the that second point, look, what, what is it? You it can't is, control the first look, but you can control the second. That's the, I think that's yes. the saying. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I just say that I want to admit to where I have failed because I'm part of society and in this same boat with everyone, I've failed in the objectification and sexualization of women. And in fact, mm. you know, like you, I had a porn addiction for a good long time and it was all of that objectifying and sexualization. I think I struggled in a lot of my relationships because I, I mean, even my obsession, that could have been a topic for another time, the church's obsession with marriage as if it is the ultimate ideal of whatever. I mean, a part of it, I had that obsession because I was like, that's the only way I'm going to get sex. And it was, it had nothing to do about who I was going to marry or who I was going to, what, you know, that's, that's another form of sexualization. So I want to own up to that and say it's publicly, that's not right. And I can't change the past, but I can change the present. And I want to be held accountable to that. 
And I'm very thankful to Scarlett Johansson and others, whether they're in Mad Men or something else. We don't know the stories of these women that are, are, are acting in these roles and the, and the reasons why they are doing so. But, but I applaud those that are trying to press the boundaries away from just stereotypes and sexualization and make strong, appropriate, and equally treated female characters. And I, I long for the day when, you know, you might could say it's too much to ask for, but I would love to see our media treat women more fairly and, and less sexually mm. all the way around. And I think everyone's going to win when, when that yep. happens. So I applaud them for, you can say, well, they're movie stars. It's easy for them to say, well, it's easy, but it's not. Because you and I don't work in Hollywood and we don't know what they face. And I'm just, I'm just thankful that they're, we're at least reaching a point as a society that they feel safe enough to talk about it without immediate threats to their jobs or livelihood or, or whatnot. And so I say, you go, girl. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so with that, thank you, Henry, for, uh, for your thoughts here and for your transparency as well. And I, I am interested to talk about the, the marriage side of things. I think we need a whole overhaul of that theology and, I all, and that whole platform. Um, but I'd also be interested at some point for us to talk about the, the reverse of this or where, where there is positive sexualization because there is a place for sexualization and that, that song place- song of songs, anyone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there, there, there is a, your neck is like the Tower of David. The, the, there is a place within relationships and romance where that is a, where that is a good thing and a thing to be celebrated. And there's also the importance of a woman, uh, of a woman's agency and, and power to make her own choices and decide what she will do. So all of that is something that I think we we didn't even touch on and and that we can dive into in the future as well. So I think we'll we'll be revisiting this topic soon. But with that, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Go check out Pod Mentoring if you are looking for a podcast coaching and want to take your podcast to the next level or, sh- or start it up. There's a link in the show notes for that. That is my podcast podcast mentoring service that I do. And thank you guys so much for listening, for subscribing, for commenting and and letting us know your thoughts. And with that, we'll see you next week.